we God's presence with one another. Hope so. I hope so. And uh, it's great to be together. And uh, I'm so glad that every one of you is here uh, this morning. Thank you. I want to say thank you, worship team. Really quick, I want to give it up for the worship team. We honor you. Uh, we thank you for leading us into the presence of God. And, and we want to thank also our AV team in the back. Uh, we want to thank our guest services team. We want to thank our parking team. We want to thank our children's ministry team. Can we just give it up for all these teams, please? You know, a lot of, you know, a lot of these volunteers uh, are meeting and setting up before many of you are even getting dressed for Sunday morning, you know, and they're here. And, uh, and I believe you'll see the reason why people would wake up so early on a Sunday morning to serve Jesus. I think you're going to see that today in the message. By the way, before we get started, I like doing this. So can you just turn to three people, give them a high five, say good morning. I'm happy to be sitting by you. I'm happy to be in your presence. Air five, air five. Yes, and um, high fives are awesome. I endorse high fives hugely. You know, we're in a season, uh, we're in a season right now where, uh, you know, we just don't want to receive from God whatever he has for us. Although we do want to receive from God what he has for us. Like, that's not what we want only uh, for our church and for all of us. But we are also setting aside an offering for our king, our Lord of Lords, next week. And, uh, and we have been praying about what to bring. We've been wrestling with what to bring to God. And uh, next week we get to bless ministries all over Mexico and Central America uh, through our special missions offering. And uh, this is our last Sunday before we prepare for that. And uh, so in the spirit of that, I want to read a passage this morning, uh, a short story that I think models what it means to go deeper in our faith. And we're going to read here in Luke chapter 5. And so if you have your Bibles, you can open those up. If your Bible glows, you can, you know, click that, I guess. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It'll be up here on the screen as well. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Who's, who's excited about the Word of God this morning? Hey, anytime I get nervous, I just got to remind myself the power is in the Word of God. The power is in the Spirit of God. I'm not up here to give you a motivational speech. I'm not here to make you laugh or to have fun. I'm here just hopefully to present God's Word to you and that it would change your life. Come on, somebody. I like it. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. If you're ready to read the Word of God, let me hear an amen. amen. Luke chapter 5, verse 1. Oops, I clicked it again. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. I like that. It shows the posture of the people because what are they doing? They are pressing in. Are you pressing in this morning? Every morning that you have an opportunity to come before your Father in heaven, do you press in to listen? Or are we too busy? I, I pray that we would press in this morning and listen to the word of God. Verse 2. He noticed two empty boats at the water edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, you know him as Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and taught the crowds from there. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, now go out where it is deeper. I like that too because I wonder if God, if he could say something to you this morning, he would say, go out where it's deeper. I know it's a little scary out there, but you've been in the shallow end for too long. It's time to step out in faith and go a little deeper today. And let down your nets to catch some fish. Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. And I know you're a great public speaker 
and I know that you're a carpenter, but we're fishermen. But if you say so, if you say, if you say so, I'll let down the nets again, Jesus. If you say so, I'll let them down. How many people know that God can bless your obedience even when you have a bad attitude? Anybody? Yeah. See, God can bless your obedience even when your attitude isn't good. If you're just willing to step out and see. Everybody say, step out and see. You know, I've been on the other end of that for the last few weeks. Peter's speaking, and he's been saying stuff like, hey, turn to your neighbor. And uh, I thought, yeah, I don't like this too much, but I'm going to keep doing it for it to you guys. Uh, <laughs> anyways, we'll keep going here in verse 6. Everybody say, step out and see. When they had done so. You see, when they had stepped out to see, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, boats so full that they began to sink. I love this because the biggest problem before Jesus showed up was empty nets. The biggest problem after Jesus got involved was sinking boats. That's good. That's good. And it just goes to show you that God will fill you that God will fill your life when you're obedient to what he asks you to do. See, the blessing is not in hearing the word of God. The blessing is in doing the word of God. So I want to speak to you for a few minutes on this subject, a new net worth. A new net worth. If you guys could bow your heads and pray with me. Father, thank you for this opportunity that we have to be in your presence this morning. I pray, God, that you would move everything aside in our heart and in our life and that we would press in to the word of God today. That that would be our posture. And that, God, we would let you take us deeper in our faith than we've ever gone before that we would no longer be afraid or scared of what we might experience if we were to just give full control to you in our life, but we would just take a step out and see, God, what you would do when we live by faith. God, we ask that you would fill us this morning. We know that our lives and our schedules are full, but I would pray that you would fill us today. Fill us with your goodness. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. God, fill us with your purpose this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 It's great to be together. I'm in a good mood. I'm excited to be with everybody this morning. And uh, why don't you finish this sentence for me? I wish I had known then what I know. Okay, come follow me for a second. I wish I had known I wish I had known what I know now. Thank you. I wish I had known then what I know now. I don't know about you, but that used to annoy me. Like that statement used to annoy me so much when people who were older than me would say that to me because I just felt like they were like kind of being condescending, you know, like they were some, in some way looking down on me. And so in my mind, I'm just thinking, well, just tell me what it is then. If you're so smart, if you know everything, just, just tell me. And they would say things like, nah, I can't tell you about it. You just got to live it. Then why'd you say something? You know what I mean? But, but they would say things like that, and it would be kind of annoying. It would be kind of frustrating for me. But I'm 27 now. That's right, 27. I'm 27 with a stress level of a 57-year-old. And, uh, you know, I saw this meme a couple, you guys know what a meme is? I saw a meme a couple of months ago, and it made me laugh, and I thought maybe it would make you laugh today. You want to see it? No? You want to see it? All right, here we go. Check this out. Who said pastoring a church is stressful? I'm 42 and feeling great. I thought that was good. I thought that was pretty good. 
I thought it was good. Do you think that was good? It's pretty good. You know, it was kind of frustrating when they'd use a statement, I wish I had known then what I know now. But when they used to say that and they would say it like, you know, there was some sort of secret, I think I know what they mean by that now. And here's what I think that they meant by saying that, is that maturity or wisdom or growth is knowing the difference between what's worth less and what's worth it. I'll say it again. Maturity is knowing the difference between what's worthless and what's worth it. In other words, the message that those people were trying to get across to me was that there are some things that you are worried about that are worthless to worry about. And there are some things that you are neglecting that are totally worth it to invest your whole life into. And I wish I had known the difference when I was younger between what was worth it and what was worthless. You know, I wish I had learned earlier in life that holding a grudge is worthless. Because you really only imprison yourself. You only chain yourself down. You only lock yourself in solitary confinement when you hate somebody with malice in your heart. No matter what they did to you and no matter how they hurt you, it's not worth it for you to hate them. But it is worth it for you to step outside of your bitterness and forgive somebody regardless of the offense so that you yourself can be set free. You know, when you live a little while, you find out, there's something that I've learned uh, after about six years of doing ministry, uh, something that I've learned and I'm not saying like that's impressive, it's just, you know, it's been six years now. And um, you know, one thing that I've learned is that it's worthless to try to control people. It's worthless to try to control people because people are basically going to do what they're gonna do. It's true. It's a true statement. It's worthless to try to get somebody to be something that they're not. In fact, I would say that's probably the hardest thing about giving advice because most of the time when people ask for advice, they don't really want your advice. What they really want is affirmation for a decision they've already made. And if they don't get it from you, they're gonna go to the next person and they're gonna go to the next person and they're gonna keep searching through all the contacts in their phone until they can find somebody who it tells them something that they want to hear about a decision that they've already made up in their mind they're going to do. I mean, trust me, I don't expect people to live or die by my advice, okay? I don't expect that, okay? You don't have to listen. But a lot of times people just don't want to hear what you have to say. People don't like to hear no or maybe that's not a good idea. Unless... They really don't want to hear what you have to say unless it's what they want to hear. And I've learned that it's worthless to try to convince somebody of something. That's just me. You know, the reality is that for them to really be convinced is going to take them making their own decisions and learning from their own mistakes and coming to their own conclusion. It's either that or the Holy Spirit, like, like Jesus says in John 16, is going to convict them of what's going on in their life. Either the Holy Spirit's gonna do it or life is gonna do it. You know, uh, this is, you know, I think about uh, relationships in, in teen ministry. It's the springtime and love is always in the air. Actually, uh, it doesn't matter what season, love is always in the air in the teens. And um, I think it's just their stage of life. And, uh, you know, I, I've taken a different approach the last few years because I believe in helping people become mature followers of Christ. You know, we don't want to be just about building a big church, but we want to be about building big people. You know what I mean? And, and so, like when a, like a young man will come to me and talk to me about uh, somebody that he likes, first of all, I'm like, that's awesome. Never make somebody feel bad for liking somebody at this age. I mean, it's normal, right? I think so. 
I think it's normal. Why would we, tell that, why would we shame that in somebody? So they, they like somebody, I'm like, that's awesome. Good for you. But let me give you some questions to think about and pray about this week before I say anything that I think. And so I'll ask them some questions. I'll say things like, you know, what, what, what would be the purpose of you dating? What's the goal? Because you know, really, you know, dating is preparation for marriage and you're 15 years old, so uh, if you wanna go ahead and be pure for the next 10 years, go ahead and be my guest. You know what I mean? But, but what's your goal? Is it just to hold hands? Do you wanna just have the title of being in a relationship? Like, what's the goal of this? That's a good question, right? It's like, what's the goal of this relationship? Then I'll ask him something like, hey, is this relationship bringing out the best qualities in your character? Or is it starting to bring out questionable qualities in your character? Like, are you beginning to keep secrets? Are you hiding things? Just a question. Think about it. I'll ask him things like, do people look at your relationship? Do they see Jesus? Did they see God? Did they see that there's a difference? Look, I just wanna help you think and pray through this this week and then we can talk about it next week. And I'll give you what, what I think. That, you may not agree with that, but I believe in helping people gain godly convictions and that doesn't happen just through t forcing somebody what you want them to do, but it's allowing them to think in a godly way by presenting it to them to think about. It's guiding people. It's like being an Obi-Wan Kenobi to Luke Skywalker, you know what I mean? You gotta guide him in the ways of the force. You know what I'm saying? Uh, little nerd, little nerdy example there. And so that's just my conviction there. And I believe I have very strong conviction when it comes to dating and, and relationships, but I wanna lead people to there. I don't wanna just coerce or force people into that position. Can I get an amen? amen. That's kind of my approach there. Uh, when it comes to relationships. I mean, how many worthless attempts did you make as a teenager to impress people who aren't even, even in your life today? Trying to impress people that you really didn't even like, but you needed them to like you. I mean, if I could just sit down with every student, I would say it is worthless to pursue popularity at the expense of your purpose. Never give up God's purpose in your life for popularity or what people think. Don't ever do that. Instead, I will tell you to pursue your purpose with everything you've got, no matter what they think about you or what they say about you, no matter what people think, no matter if it makes you feel lonely in the moment, God's favor lasts a lifetime. Don't ever give that up. I've learned that pursuing your purpose is worth it. Can the whole church shout, it's worth it. It's worth it. I've learned that some things are worthless and some things are worth it. And I see in Luke 5, uh, I see it in Luke 5 with a man named Simon. I see it in Luke 5 with this guy, Simon. When Jesus comes over to his boat and gets up on his business, he grabs this guy. He says, hey man, I need your help. Can you help me out? You see, Jesus was preaching one day on the shore and there were so many people in the crowd that he wanted to get out on the lake. And it's not because Jesus is claustrophobic, okay? Uh, but it's that his so that his voice would kind of echo like in an amphitheater. There's something about going out on the lake and him projecting his voice that would project it in a louder way. And so he gets out on the lake. He sees a guy on the shore named Simon. You might know him as who? Peter, that's right, this is Peter. And he says to him, hey, come help me out, Peter. And Jesus just got in Peter's boat. How rude. I mean, what would, it, what would you do if, I got, if you got into your car, into the parking lot to leave church today and I was sitting there in the back seat like, hey, where are we going to lunch? I like In-N-Out. Be like, weirdo, you know, like, Creepy, how'd you get into my car, number one? Like, how did you get here? You know what I mean? But that would be so weird. But that's what Jesus did. Jesus just got up in his boat and said, let's do this. Let's do this. Now, the crowd had gathered on this day. It says, in, in verse one, it says that the crowd had gathered on this day to hear Jesus preach. And Peter 
had already met Jesus, but he wasn't yet committed to him. In fact, we read in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus and Peter, they already met. Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. But we find out that, that, that Peter wasn't yet committed. Everybody say committed. committed. Say it again with faith, committed. committed. I've noticed that in every church, you got the crowd and you've got the committed. I see it on every job. You've got the crowd and you've got the committed. I see it on every sports team. I see it on every, every high school campus that I go on. You've got the crowd and then you've got the people who are really committed. You see, Peter wasn't expecting for his boat to be turned into a stage that day. Peter wasn't expecting that Jesus would turn his bow into a pulpit that day. But some of the greatest blessings of your life will be when you are obedient to trust God in unexpected circumstances, in unexpected opportunities. And all of a sudden, Peter, who was one in the crowd, becomes a central player in the purpose of God. It's amazing. The crowd gathered around that day to listen to the word of God. They came to listen to the word of God. This wasn't in my notes, but I think it's cool that it says that they came to listen to the word of God because Jesus, what is he? He is the word of God. That's what it says in John 1. They didn't come to hear a word from God. They came to hear the word of God in the flesh. That's pretty cool. Just thought I'd throw it out there. Really, He said they came to hear the word of God and you know, every weekend in our church, people gather to hear from God, like right now. And that's good. That's a good thing. Because it's an act of worship for you to press into the presence of God. It's a good thing. But the miracle, I want to I let you know this, that the miracle never happens on the shore. I said the miracle never happens on the shore. The miracle never happens in the crowd. The miracle happens when somebody from the crowd commits at a deeper level to Christ. So it's one thing to say, I'm coming to church to get a word from God, but it's another thing to say, I'm giving Jesus my boat. I'm giving Jesus my life to speak from. You with me on that? I'm not just here to, to receive. I'm going to let Jesus get all up in my business, up in my boat, and speak from my life so that people can hear from him. And that's why a lot of people, I think, aren't experiencing what God wants for their life because they're still standing in the crowd, but they're not yet committed to Christ. So I want to walk you through what it really means to let God into your boat today. And I'm going to speak especially to these front two sections, the teens on the campus, but you're all invited to listen in. Uh, but I'm going to give them some advice. I'm excited especially because I went to school for accounting and I get to share some accounting principles today. That was not enthusiastic at all. But I'm going to walk you through what it really means to let God in your boat. Are you ready? Are you ready to let God into your business today? He's knocking on the door. I'm gonna show you what it means to let him all up in your business, to not just gather to hear him, and that's really good, but to really go deeper in your relationship with him. And, I, and, 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 and this is gonna kind of represent the talk that I would have with anybody your age, as a college student, as a high school student, you know, this talk would be like me teaching a session here. And, uh, and so I'm trying to show you what's going to happen in your life. You ready? Campus, you ready? Yeah. You're like, I'm in class all week. Yeah. What about you guys? You ready? You ready? Okay. I hope you're, you're shouting by the end. Okay, let me ask these front two sections a, a quick question, okay? And I know it's a little personal, but does any of you have a really, like, a lot of money right now? Anybody? Yeah, I didn't think so, okay? 
I didn't think so. If you did, I would have some other questions to ask you at this point. But the reason I ask, the reason I ask this question is because right now, most of you, you have a very low value for what things are actually worth. Because you probably don't pay for everything yourself. You might have a job and you pay for some things, but you're at a point in your life where you don't really pay for everything that you have. You probably don't make the water come on. You probably don't heat the house. You probably don't pay that cell phone bill. Some of you might, but not all of you. You have no idea all the unseen sacrifices that your parents make for you. You have no idea the hard work and the time that goes into providing a good life for you. I thought I would get an amen from the parents on that one. And, and one day, and one day, you're gonna come back to them and you're gonna thank them for putting up with your expensive selves and all the stuff you took for granted and say thank you to your parents. Say thank you. Let me get a, this two front sections just to say thank you really quick. Everybody say thank you. Thank you. They meant it to all of you back there in faith. Thank you. But hopefully, hopefully what your parents are hoping is that one day you'll make your own money. Amen? Yeah. Oh, yes, amen. They're hoping, they're hoping that one day you will have your own checking account, savings account. Maybe you'll pay for your own apartment someday. Me and Ayumi, uh, we, 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 our first apartment, we rented for $900 a month in Laverne, California. 700 square feet of glory. It was awesome. And so maybe someday you'll pay for your own apartment. You'll rent your own apartment with your own money and that will be awesome. And then maybe someday you'll get married and, or maybe someday you'll, you'll buy a house. You'll buy a house, you, you put down a down payment and you begin to collect. Here's the first part of my lesson to you this morning. You guys ready? This is the first thing that you're gonna begin to collect. We call these assets. Woo, you like that? Assets, assets, check this out. Everybody say assets. Assets are what you own, right? Assets are what you own. So you might get a car, that's an asset. If you really wanna know what we call this in accounting, we call it a depreciating asset. Depre I got a big smile on my face because I don't get to talk about this very often, but we call this a depreciating asset, meaning it's always decreasing in value and it's costing you more money. You know, broke people buy depreciating assets to look flashy, but you guys aren't gonna do that. You're not gonna do that, right? Just nod your heads, yes, yeah. What you wanna buy are assets that make you money. You want your money to make money, right? This is, I mean, come on, is this good advice or what? I seriously, that's how wealthy people think, so that's how you're gonna think. I'm not gonna waste my money on stuff that's gonna lose value. I'm gonna do something that's gonna create value. It's awesome, I love this stuff. You wanna buy true assets so that by the age of 30, you hopefully have accumulated some assets. You know, hopefully you have a house and, and a car and you have a retirement account because you know what? You're not gonna be able to work that hard forever. So maybe you'll, you'll be you know, putting a little bit away every month. You just gotta start small, start putting a, a, aside a little bit of money every month. I started this when I was 22. I started putting aside money every month for retirement. And you got a savings account and maybe you even have an emergency fund for a rainy day. You're building your assets. Everybody say assets. And then you have another column. You have another column if you look at your financial statement, anybody want to guess what this one's called? 
Liabilities. The L word. Liabilities. Everybody say liabilities. If assets are what you own, liabilities are what you owe. So if you have a house, what that house is worth is your asset. What you owe on that house is your liability. You with me? It's good stuff. I'm telling you. Listen in. Now, some people have a lot of liabilities. Some people have a lot of liabilities. So I'm going to teach you the simple formula for financial success. You ready? You're taking notes. It's going to be on your quiz next week. Take some notes. Take some notes here. You know, I paid tens of thousands of dollars, by the way, to learn this. It's pretty cool, though. I paid a lot of money for this in college. Here's the equation. It's that when, it's that when you have more assets than liabilities, that's what we call prosperous. When you have more liabilities than assets, you're called broke, okay? And that's not what you want. And if we're in a hard season right now, that's not to put anybody down. That's just when we have more liabilities than assets, you're in the red. Is this helpful? I said, is this helpful? Is this helpful? I hope so. And so by the age of 35 years old, let's say that you've got some assets and you've got some liabilities. Now, some people, they do something crazy. They get crazy. They don't have the self-control to afford something before they buy it. So they get plastic and they run up their liabilities. And then they spend the next 10 years of their life paying off shoes. But not you. And not you. Okay? You will not let your liabilities exceed your assets. But if you sit down with somebody and they'll total up all your assets and, and they'll total up all your liabilities and you subtract the liabilities from your assets, it, they give you a term. It's called your net worth. Everybody say net worth. Net worth, which is an odd term to me because to attach the word worth to how much money I have really shows you the sickness of the American dream. I know it's just a financial term, but maybe we should try to find a better one because to say that what I am worth can be summed up in a number is just wrong. It's disturbing. I mean, because joy is worth something, right? Peace is worth something. Doing the right thing is worth something. Having integrity is worth something. Seeking God is worth something. I'm, I'm worth more than how many zeros are behind my name. Everybody say, I'm worth more. You're worth more than the amount of zeros you got behind your name. Nevertheless, you can't pay your light bill with joy. Trust me, they won't take it. And you can't bless other people with good thoughts. And so God entrusts you with assets. And he entrusts you to limit your liabilities. But there's gotta be more. I mean, just think about it. How many people in our world today have accumulated a lot of assets and they've kept their liabilities low, and yet they still feel empty inside. I mean, this week, there were some famous people that passed away. And it's so sad, it's, it's heartbreaking to see how these lives, some of them have ended. To think that somebody would have it all, that, that, what, everything that you could ever want And yet there's an emptiness, there's a void in their heart. They sound like Peter, I fished all night and caught nothing. I spent my whole life accumulating assets and I'm still not fulfilled. So I think to determine the real net worth of any believer, we need another column. What about you? We need another column. And this column takes some people their whole life to get. But you, you're going to get it today. And so are you. 
You guys want to know? I feel like you're not as excited about this as I am. This is good, okay? You need a column. You need a column called cause. Cause. You need a cause. Everybody say cause. Cause. I hope God blesses you with many, many, many assets. I really do. Okay? I feel like we get weird when we talk about like God wanting to bless us with things, with assets. You know, God is a good, good father. Do you think he's up there scheming on, on, on what he can take away from you tomorrow? No, he wants to give you more. But if you're faithful with, with, with what you've already been given, if you could be faithful with the little you have now as a college student, as a high school student, God will entrust you with more. God wants to bless you with assets. It's a good thing. But I found out that the nicest nets in the world are useless if you don't have water to put them in. Say it again. I found out that the nicest nets in the world are useless if you don't know what water to put them in. It would be a shame to spend your whole life trying to get nicer nets when what you really are fishing for is something that cannot be found in the asset column. And so God wants to give you a cause today. My question, do you have a cause? What breaks your heart? What stirs a passion and a fire in you? What's your cause? Peter fished all night. He caught nothing and now he's faced with a decision. Am I willing to walk away from everything I've ever known and worked for for the sake of a greater cause? You know, the only reason personally why I still feel like I'm doing ministry after six years is that no matter you know, what I was going through personally, no matter how hard it got, there's two things that kept me in the game. Number one, God's grace. He is so good. And I deserve none of this. I don't even deserve to be up here speaking to you today. And so let me give praise to God for his amazing grace in my life. It's what taught me to fear him. But the other reason why I'm here is because I have a cause. I have a cause. It's this generation right here. This is my calling in life, okay? If I were just doing this to get paid, I would have left a long time ago. It keeps me up at night. It brings tears to my eyes. It breaks my heart sometimes. And sometimes it gives me great joy. And I've learned to keep my eyes on Jesus. Some of you are waiting on God to give you something to get started, but if you get a cause in your heart, no devil in hell will be able to make you quit when you've got a cause. Do you have a cause? What's your cause? Teens, what are your cause? What is your cause? Campus, what, what is your cause? Cause will make you get up and go to work, again, even around unhappy people every day. Because I'm not here for them. I got a cause. I, a cause will make you stay up late and not worry about who gets the credit. Because I don't do it for the credit. I do it for the cause. Some of you just give up on your job because we're not getting credit. But if you get a cause in your heart, you wouldn't need credit because God gets the glory. Everybody shout, I got a cause. I, wanna, I want you to get a cause, man. I just want you to get a cause. You know, King David, when he was a teenager, when he went up against Goliath 
I'm about to get fiery because this is good. I love what he says. He says in verse 45 of 1 Samuel 17, he says, You come against me, Goliath, with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. You've defied my God. That's my cause. Defending the honor of God and his people. He goes on, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head, bro. Cut it off. He's not done. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. I wonder if people would look at our life and say there is a God alive today in this world. David is saying, how can we stand around complaining, being so complacent when we have a cause? All the things that we don't like. But my question is, do you have a cause? And I don't know about you, but I believe with all my heart that there is no greater cause than Jesus Christ. There is no cause greater than Jesus Christ. Sometimes we try to make other people our cause. That's called codependency. I've struggled with that. I don't do that anymore. My joy comes from the Lord. So does yours. By faith, I speak it over you. But sometimes we make other people our cause, and that won't work because people can be very, very fickle. And you can sow into them for many seasons, and then you're surprised when they don't produce. Been there? When Christ is your cause, when his purpose on earth becomes your cause, then you can live through the liabilities and you won't get arrogant when you receive the assets because you have a cause. I wish I could sit down with everybody here and ask you, do you have a cause? Do you have a cause? I want you to turn to the person next to you. You knew it was coming. Turn to the person next to you and ask them, do you have a cause? And wait for their answer. Wait for their answer. If they look at you confused, it's because they haven't found it yet. Okay? But when you find your cause, oh my goodness, something to motivate you from within that just burns a fire in your bones. You see, Christ is my cause because he saved me. I said, Christ is my cause because he saved me. Everything I have is because of him. Wouldn't be what I am if it weren't for him. Wouldn't be standing up here if it weren't for him. He is my cause. And if he is my cause, then I want to give the rest of my life to serving his. My cause is Christ. And his cause was you. There are many causes in the world today, but there is only one cause that Jesus died for, and it's us. It's us. Every church, no matter what name, no matter where you come from, he died for us. Not just when we're in this room, but when we leave this room, because we're not a club. Everybody say, we're not a club. We're a cause. Let's be a cause, church. Let's be a cause, somebody. He called us to be fishers of men. That's what Jesus told Peter because Peter was astonished by the catch and it freaked him out. He's like, whoa. He couldn't believe that Jesus would use somebody like him to fulfill a great cause. And so I wanna, want you to watch this in verse eight and we're gonna come to close here in a minute. And we're going to pray for the communion. But it says here in verse 8, When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. In other words, I'm not worth your presence. I'm not worthy of your investment. Go away from me. And everybody in this room struggles with feelings of unworthiness. 
and feelings of not being good enough and how could you choose me and how could you use me? And our reaction to that is to distance ourselves from God and say, go away from me, Lord, as if it was some noble deed that I'm just gonna separate myself from you, God, because you're so good. We just need to punish ourselves a little bit. We think that we're not enough and we'll never have enough and we push God away because we feel unworthy. But Jesus is about to show Peter a new net worth. And it would take him years to learn it. It would take him years to learn it. Peter wouldn't really know what he was worth in that moment. Peter wouldn't really know what he was worth until Jesus, after his resurrection from the dead, invited him to breakfast on the seashore after his failure, after he had fallen away from Jesus. And Peter looked Jesus in the eye and Jesus asked Peter a question. He says, do you love me? Do you love me? A third time, do you love me? Feed my sheep feed my sheep. In other words, prove my worth to you by placing value on what's important to me. If you love me, Peter, you will value what I value. That is everybody here and out there. You see, Peter didn't have to wonder about his worth anymore because value is proven by investment. And Jesus didn't stretch his arms to die for something worthless. And Jesus didn't give his life at the hands of sinful men for something that's worthless. And for everybody who has ever felt worthless today, if you're in that place right now, I want you to know that your value was proven by the price Jesus paid so that you could be free. If you have the guts to say it, say, I'm worth it. He paid the price for you. You're worth it. I don't care how you feel right now. You're worth it. I'm not worth it because I feel like I'm worth it. I'm not worth it because I deserve it. I'm worth it because Jesus came for me and died for me and shed his blood for me. I'm worth it. I'm worth it. And Peter said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. Now watch this. I gotta show you one more thing here in verse nine. For he and all his companions were astonished um, at the catch of fish they had taken, and so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And look at this. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. If Jesus could say something to you today, I wonder if he would say, don't be afraid. You're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. From now on, you will fish for people. You will be a fisher of men. You have some assets, you have a boat, you have some nets, you have a business, you have liabilities, and you fished all night and caught nothing. Isn't it interesting that Jesus picked somebody who had failed at their task to sign them up for his purpose? He picked the failure for his purpose. I mean, you would think he would have looked for the boat that was full, right? You think he would have chosen somebody who knew what they were doing, but if the boat would have been full of fish, there would have been nowhere for him to sit. And Jesus has to find an empty boat. He cannot use somebody who is full of himself. He cannot use somebody who is full of herself. He cannot use somebody who is full of ego. He cannot use somebody who is full of their good ideas and never see the wrongs in themselves. You know what, if they had caught fish, they would have still been out in the water. It was their failure that positioned them for their future. So if you've been feeling like a failure, it's a good place for Jesus to call you this morning. He says, I got a perfect mission for you. Come join me. Woo. We're coming to a close, I promise. Don't be afraid. Don't, be worth, don't feel worthless because from now on you're gonna be my nets. When I met you, you were washing nets and now you're gonna be my nets. You're gonna be my nets. I'm gonna throw you out into the earth and you're gonna fish for people. 
And, and now that Peter was a net, he didn't need his nets. And this is how you know if somebody's really committed or if they're in the crowd. Look at what happens in verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. You see, the worth of Jesus was proven by what Peter was willing to walk away from. I challenge each person who is standing on the shore of our church today to decide what Jesus is worth to you. I'm talking about everybody. I'm not talking to a visitor, I'm talking to everybody. I'm talking about an opportunity to look in the mirror and ask yourself, what is Jesus worth to me? Has he lost his value in my life? You make this decision every day with how you treat people, whether you forgive people, whether you spend time seeking God, you're deciding, what is he worth to me? That's what Peter is deciding in this moment. He's now got nets full of fish thinking, would I rather have a net full of fish that I can't keep or would I rather have a cause that can't be taken away? And he chose the cause over the catch. Let's give it up for Peter. That's awesome. And God is not going to move everybody out of their career to be on a full-time staff. But what he will challenge everybody to do is to use your career for his cause. Use your stage of life for his cause. And when we give next weekend, it's not just an offering, it's a cause. Special missions is a cause. And so let me end with this question. You were his cause. Will you make him yours? You were his cause because the struggle for Jesus was so intense that his sweat became like drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane. And the only commitment he could come to was not my will, but your will be done. Before we pray, I'm gonna leave you with this verse. It says, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's my praise, fixing my eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of my faith, the beginning and the end. Not only did he begin it, but he finished it. And look at this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Who was the joy set before him? You. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him now. Make him your cause. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. You were his cause. Will you make him yours? Father, we come to you in prayer. We pray today that you would be our cause again. God, I know for many of us here, we made you our cause at one point. But just like Peter, we went back to a lifestyle that was outside of your cause. And I pray that everybody here would have an interaction with you today, an experience or an encounter, whatever you want to call it, God, that they would just experience you in such a way where they would hear you calling them back, saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? I value what I value. We give you our whole heart today. We give you our whole heart. We love you. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. In Jesus' name.